Good morning, those of you joining us online. I'm glad you're with us today. I think God has something, some work to do in our hearts and minds if we will but yield. Also want to take a moment to just give a special shout out um, for some certain people online. A few weeks ago, I did uh, some mentions about people who were joining us all over the country, and I had skipped over one, and they sent me a little pack in the mail, and they said, maybe you just need a little bit of bribery. And it worked, because here I am, and uh, I, I, uh, it was a really great note and a really great gift, so thank you to our special friends joining us, and they joined virtually Mount Horeb. They live in Wisconsin, so thank you to you. We are actually huge Green Bay Packers fans, and it was a perfect fit. All it takes is a little bribery, friends, and you get a little shout out, so we hope you uh, are enjoying the services from wherever you are, whatever you're doing. God is with us here. God is with you there. Last week in Beating the Odds, Pastor Jeff talked about beating the odds in our finances. And at the beginning, he said, you know, I guess it's just a short straw because I'm an old guy and old guys have to talk about finances. I'm really glad that Jeff is the old guy. I use air quotes because I still like my job and want to stick around. This week, I'm going to be talking about something Similar with a similar theme, but a different turn, if you will. I'm talking about beating the odds in our time. Beating the odds in our time. And I say similar because if you notice, if you pay attention, the language that we use around time is usually the language of economics. It's a precious commodity. How do we spend it? How do we save it? We often hear, hey, don't waste your time. There was a time management expert, and he stood in front of a group, a class of successful, eager business students, eager to go out into the world and make their mark to climb the ladder. And this time management expert had a large mason jar, and he filled it up with big rocks, and he filled it to the top, and he said, is the jar full? And they said, yes. And then underneath the table, he picked out a bucket of gravel and he poured the gravel into the jar and he shook it and it settled down. And he said, is the jar full? And they were on to him and they said, not yet. He said, that's right. And he grabbed a bucket of sand and he poured the sand in the jar and he shook it down and the sand filled the crevices. And he said, is the jar full? And they said, no. And he pulled out a pitcher of water And he took that water and he poured it into the jar and filled it up. And he said, what is the point of this illustration? And one very eager young student said, the point is, is that no matter how full our schedule is, if we try really, really hard, we can always fit something else in. And the expert said, no, the point is this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never fit them in at all. And for us in this room, the big rocks of faith, of cultivating a heart towards God, the big rocks of family, of our core relationship, our significant others, our spouses, those we're engaged to, we're dating, our friends, our children, our grandchildren, the big rocks of the dream that we've been given, that we feel like God gave it to us to launch this business or how to create this or compose this symphony or lead this team. If we don't put the big rocks in first, we'll never fit them in at all. What does your schedule feel like? 
Does it feel like we started with water and then sand and then gravel and then we're just trying to anxiously stuff in things that we actually really value? And then we wonder why we're disturbed and we don't get any rest and we feel super anxious and we wonder why we're not settled and we're not at peace. And it feels like our schedule is controlling us rather than the other way around. And some people will say, well, we're, we're busy. We are just so busy that we've never been more busy in the history of the world. I don't know if I agree. If you go back about 120 years, I don't know that they were any less busy waking up before the crack of dawn, working the land, working the animals, and working all day until supper time, and then having to go to bed all to get it up and do it all over again for six, sometimes seven days a week. See, the problem is, I think this, the trouble is not that we're a busy culture, but that we're a burnt out culture. Maybe we haven't managed our time well. Maybe we haven't rooted our souls in Christ And maybe we haven't had a grounding of who we are and we just feel tossed back and forth and we feel like it's so chaotic and we're just trying to get to the next thing so that guess what? We feel spread very thin and then what we usually do is we need to numb out then and then we start to numb out in whatever way we do that and we don't actually feel rested and we just wake up and start that cycle all over again. Maybe you know exactly what I'm saying. Today, we are going to attempt to learn how to beat the odds in our time. Psalm 90 will be our primary passage today, Psalm 90, and I have a few verses in there, and then I'll jump around to some other wisdom places in the Bible. Uh, There's a, a, a group of books in the scriptures called Wisdom Literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. This psalm today is actually a wisdom psalm, and I'll talk a little bit more about how wisdom literature works for us in the middle of this. So let's go to Psalm 90, and I have a few verses here for us. You can follow along on the screen, starting with verse 3. Here it goes. You return man to dust and say... Return, O children of man. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Verse 12, this is key. So teach us. To number our days. Because this is true. Because in wealthy affluent cultures, we get 70, maybe 80 years in general. And because death still in some senses has the say over humanity, teach us to number our days. Teach us to start with the end in mind. Teach us so that we may get a heart of wisdom. So that we may get a heart of wisdom. You might, all, you, you might almost title this talk, How to Live Like You Were Dying. You know what I'm saying? Maybe some of you after this talk, you're going to start living like you were dying. Maybe you'll go skydiving. Maybe you'll go Rocky Mountain climbing. Maybe, you know I can't help myself, just maybe you'll go 2.7 seconds on a bull named, ha <laughs> I knew I could count on you. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. If we want to beat the odds in our time, we must realize how precious little of it we have. I remember I went to Africa, and we have a longer generational 
lifespan than many places in the world. And me and my friend went to this small mountain village in Malawi, Katsakara. And we were there for a few days and barely it had electricity and they just started to developing things. And we noticed that most people were under 40. In fact, most except maybe one that we met. And their generational lifespan was, they'd be lucky to hit 38. 20 years old was midlife for them. And I wonder if sometimes we get insulated so far from death that it's hard for us to understand this passage. It's hard for us. And maybe the pandemic in one sense has caused us to face our mortality a little bit more, caused us to be in tune with our fragility a little bit more, caused us to say, okay, how do we use our time if really it's very limited and I don't get to say how many my days are. God, give me wisdom and teach me how to number my days so that I may gain wisdom. So here's where I'd like to go this morning. I'd like to invite us to explore our relationship to time, and then I would like to invite us to, because of our relationship to time, step into ordering our schedule with wisdom. So we must be aware of our relationship to time. We must be aware of our relationship to time. Each of us has a certain posture towards the schedule, towards time. What do we do with it? Some of us get very anxious about it. Some of us could care less about it. Some of us fit really well into a rhythm when things are ordered. Some of us like more spontaneity. It's important to know who we are and how we're wired. And I would argue this. We can't beat the odds. I'm gonna give us three relationships to time. We can't beat the odds if we live as if there's not enough time in a day. We can't beat the odds in our time if we live as if there's not enough time in the day. I just need more time. If I only had more time, I just can't get everything done that I need to do. Some people are very anxious about time, very anxious about their schedules. They're driven. It's the, it's the caricature of the overcommitted and overworked CEO and executive that's just barely sleeps and has got to go, 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 go. These people are busy but it's not necessarily a good kind of busy. It's not a healthy kind of busy. Something suffers because of it. It's hard for people that have this relationship to time to remember that God is not in a hurry, that God unfolds things, that God wants to take his time and he grows things. It's less like a microwave, more like a slow cooker, if you will. Over thousands of years, God has been unfolding his plan and maybe thousands of years more until it comes to fruition God is not anxious about time. After the uh, tragic stories of Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, there was a successful Canadian CEO, and he heard about a blog that was written about that, and he wanted to type his story in so that maybe he could help somebody else. And he typed his story in, and it's posted now, and We'll call him John, and John said something like this. He said his business was going well, and he was partners with his best friend, and then his best friend kind of blindsided him one day and offered him this buyout, and the business split, and he needed to scurry, and uh, now his friend was going to take half their business and half their team, and they were going to become the competition, and he had to get many millions of dollars within a month, and he was able to do that, but now in order to keep up with the competition, he had a lot of work to do. And he kind of calculated it out and he sat his wife down. He was married and had two sons. He sat his wife down and he said to her, you know what? In order to make this business happen, I'm gonna probably just be gone, just invisible almost for about six months. It's gonna take me six months to kind of get this back up and running, to get on my feet. And I just wanna know if we're willing to make this sacrifice. And 
her and the boys said, you know, we're with you. We're with you. This is your dream. We'll, we'll sacrifice and we'll, we'll go this route with you. Well, six months turned into seven months. Seven months turned into 10 months, turned into a year. A year turned into 18 months. Pretty soon, John was so anxious that he was staying up until about midnight or 2 a.m. And he, he was taking meds and illegal substances just to try and get some sleep. And he would wake up at three in the morning in a cold sweat. He stopped eating. He'd only eat about two meals a day and he wouldn't even eat until about two in the afternoon. He drank a lot of coffee. He was anxious. He was run down. He was burnt out. About 16 months in, he and his wife had a really hard conversation and he had a breakdown. He had an emotional breakdown. Probably one of the greatest gifts that God gave him. He just said, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. He was chemically imbalanced. Never saw his wife and kids. She almost left him. And finally, he hit rock bottom. And she said, I can't do this anymore either. Something has to change or we're not gonna make it. You see, he had taken some big rocks out and he'd set them by the wayside. And now they were suffering until they couldn't take anymore. So he got some help. He went and saw some counselors, saw some therapists. He got some time management coaches he said it was about 16 months until he started to feel a sense of normalcy after this. And slowly but surely, he began to, weigh, to work his way back into feeling like a human being. And maybe that's overdramatic for you. It's a true story. And maybe you think, well, that's not me, but it could be if this is your relationship to time. You see, some of us are living so fast into the future, we're not available for the present. And I invite you to take a hard look at our schedule, your calendar. A calendar that is overcommitted does not reflect a God who is in control. You see, sometimes we do this in the church too, and I, I, I get real agitated about this. Sometimes we, we just try to make people more busy. Like, well, you need to do this more, and you need to do this more, and you, maybe you need to serve, and you need to be more involved, and you need to give more of your time, and you need to give more of your time. Maybe that's true, but maybe you're in a really crazy season with small kids right now, and you just need to come and receive. It's hard to be the light of the world when we're burning the candle at both ends. So we can't beat the odds if we live as if there's not enough time in a day, and we can't beat the odds if we live as if there's all the time in the world. And you say, well, wait a second. Those points actually contradict each other. Well, they would if it weren't for wisdom literature, and here's where wisdom literature helps us. Wisdom literature is not necessarily about a principle that is true for all people at all times and all places. It's more about situational application for a person in a time and a place. So what may be applicable to you now may not be to your neighbor now. And what may not apply to you today in about three years may apply to you. That's how wisdom works. And God says, I want you to use your noggin and I want you to use discernment and figure out where you are, what's going on in life and how do you apply wisdom. We can't beat the odds if we live as if there's all the time in the world. Look at Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, 10 through 11. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Who doesn't love a good nap? Right? I love a good nap. Verse 11, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. What's it saying? What's it saying? 
It's saying this. It's saying there are some people, it's not that their relationship to time is that they don't have enough of it. It's the relationship to time is they're not really concerned about it. They live as if their days aren't numbered at all. They live as if they have all the time in the world. And you know what? I'll get to that tomorrow. How many of you said that? How many of you said that? I've said that before. You know what? I'll just get to that tomorrow. But sometimes tomorrow is actually the enemy of today. We just put it off until tomorrow. We just think, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. And tomorrow turns into next week, turns into next year. What is our big rock? What's our dream? What's our God-given calling? And here's the thing. I don't think it's primarily about laziness. It is on the surface level, but I think there's something else driving us. I think there's something else underneath that working its way in our life. And it's more about seeking comfort. You see, if someone is over busy and overworked, maybe it's more about they're driven to excel because they need approval or they're concerned about their image. Maybe that's fear-based. Maybe this one is more about seeking comfort. I'm just going to try to order my schedule and order my life so that I don't feel stressed and I don't feel burdened and I don't feel overwhelmed. And it's comfort-seeking. Now, here's the real conversation I think God wants to have with us when we're in that place. It's not about chastising us for being lazy. I think it's more about this. Friends, if we learn to number our days, we will learn to step into our calling and make a difference in the world. You have something to do. I have something to do. You have a self to bring out and give to the world. I have a self to bring out and give to the world. That is our contribution. We have something to compose. We have something to create. We have something to put our hands to and craft. We have something to repair. We have something to offer and to teach and to educate and to contribute to this world. There is work to do. And maybe most people don't feel like they're living their own life and they're living their own story because they haven't waken up to that yet. And so they want to check out and they want to seek comfort because life just feels like you're living as, as an invisible ghost. You feel like you're living someone else's life. It's time to wake up to your own and to your own story and to your own genius and to your own gifts that you have to give to this world. There is work to do and repair to be done and no one can do it like you. That's good news. That's good news. I think that God wants us engaged as co-participants in our own story. He's the author, we're the co-authors. We get to cooperate with him and how it unfolds. And he wants us to use our time well because it's limited. There's a, there was an illustration I found. There was this research done on what we typically do with our time and maybe how comfort seekers often spend their time. And it, was, it said that on average, people spend about two hours a day on social media. Social media, it listed as like YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, Facebook, kind of those main platforms. And it said this, the research shows that people spend on average two hours a day on those platforms, two hours a day. The research went on to show this. If you start at 10 years old on, on those platforms and social media and you live to your 72, which is what the, the generational span in Psalm 90 says, 70 to 80. If you live to your 72 and you spend two hours a day on social media, guess what? How much of your life will you have spent on social media? Six years and eight months. Six years and eight months. Now, here's the thing. I'm not against social media. 
it's less about the vehicle of the thing and more about the direction that you're taking it in. Why are you using it? Why do we need it? What are we doing with our time? Is it just to numb out? And you can apply that to other places. Is God inviting us to wake up to the reason that we're here and find our purpose? Another relationship to time is this. We misprioritize time. We misprioritize time. We pour in the gravel and we maybe put a big rock in and we think, oh, this will kind of work. And then I have to put a little bit of sand in there and then maybe I'll put another rock in. And the reality is this. If we don't put the big rocks in first, they just will never get in at all. Stephen Covey is famous for having talked about this in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he says this, when we misprioritize time, we let the urgent crowd the important. We let the urgent crowd the important. You ever feel like that? You feel like it's the emails come in. You have your, your list of things to do and the emails come in and the texts come in and then you're putting out fires and you're, I, I didn't want to do this now, but I got to respond to this email. And then you get to the end of the day and you feel really dissatisfied, almost like you didn't have a good day of accomplishing what you set out to accomplish. It's because often we let the urgent crowd the important. Stephen Covey goes on to say this, you have to decide what your highest priorities are, what your highest priorities are, and have the courage, pleasantly, smilingly, he's so nice, non-apologetically, to say no to other things. And the way you do that is by having a bigger yes burning inside of you. What are the yeses burning inside of you? What are those yeses burning inside? The enemy of the best is often the good. We actually see this in the life flow of Jesus. Jesus' wisdom personified. Jesus knew how to lean into time management. Jesus was often a great steward of time because he would, there'd be this ministry need pressing and he would lean in and he would press in and he would say, oh, we gotta, we gotta focus on this and we're gonna pour out and we're gonna give and the people are there on the hillside and they're hungry and the disciples say, hey, send them away, send them away. We don't have any money, this is getting late, we don't have time. And Jesus says, no, 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 let's press in. This is a time to press in. And then after it's all over, what does he do? He withdraws, okay, I gotta pull back. There were times when he didn't heal everybody. There were times when he didn't exercise all the demons. There were towns that he had to leave to go to other towns. There's this ebb and flow to the life of Jesus, this wonderful cooperation with wisdom and time. It's a movement forward, a movement backward. I uh, let the urgent crowd the important this week. Towards the end of the week, started no noticing my patience level. And it started to wear thin. And it usually shows up, maybe where it does for you, where it shows up for me is around people that I care about the most. And we were trying to do something as a family on Friday, just kind of being all together. And I noticed there was this tightness in my chest, this anxiety in my chest. I was like, where is this coming from? What is that? And then I sat down Saturday morning and I was thinking more about this message and I thought more about time. And I just did a little time inventory for myself in my week. And I was like, why am I so agitated? Why am I just right there at the surface, my anger just ready to break through? And I did a little time inventory, and I looked back over the week, and then it dawned on me, and I thought, oh, yeah. If I were to write out my schedule for the week, I let the urgent crowd the important. I had no time for solitude. No time for solitude. And you may not think this, but I'm like a raging introvert. I love solitude. I need solitude. I need that time of quiet 
or I can just sit and pray or listen to music or meditate or write something down and journal. I need that time of aloneness where nobody is in my space breathing my oxygen. You know, I said, I said raging introvert. You know what I'm talking about? I just need to have no one around me. And I looked back over my schedule and I thought to myself, I didn't, didn't have that this week. Now I could have done one of two things. I could have blamed it on the urgent. Well, well, all these things happened and they had to really be done and I had to do this and get the kids to school and this. Or I could take responsibility and say, no, I didn't make it happen. I didn't make it happen. I need that. If I'm gonna be a more fully functioning human being made in the image of God, I need this time. Is God inviting you to reprioritize your time? Back to Psalm 90. Once we get our relationship to wisdom oriented, maybe then we can start mapping out our schedule. Psalm 90, 12 says, teach us, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. As we're learning to start with the end in mind, if I only have a measured amount of time and I don't even get to say when that is, then I can start to learn that and grow in a heart of wisdom. Wisdom was everything for the ancient Hebrews. It was said in Proverbs 3.19, check this out. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. When they looked at creation, when they looked back at the Genesis poem, one and two, they would think to themselves, oh, what God is up to is wisdom. Look around. Look at the rhythms of the seasons. Look at the order of time. Look at morning and afternoon and evening, look at the harvest, look at sowing and reaping, look at how children grow. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. And one of the things that they would have thought when they heard this ancient poem would have been less about, does God create something out of nothing? That's surely there. But it would have been more about this. Is God able to overcome the chaos and bring it to order? You remember those first two verses in Genesis chapter one, where it says the spirit was hovering over the waters, over the dark face of the deep. Guess what? For an ancient Near Eastern backdrop, there are monsters in the deep. There's monsters in the deep. It's chaos. There's Leviathan. We don't know what's going on there. And so much of what Genesis one is doing is saying this. God is the all powerful God. Not only is he creating, but he's bringing order to chaos. He's making distinctions between night and day. He's drawing a boundary between sea and land. He's prioritizing between the value between humans and animals and plants. And I don't know if we talk about this enough, but part of our job as co-creators with God is to take what is chaotic and bring it into order. And if we feel like our time and our calendar schedule are just so chaotic, maybe God is inviting you to step up as co-creator and say, let's put some distinctions in there. Let's set some boundaries in here. Let's prioritize what's really valuable and begin to steward our time well. We were sitting in sermon prep this week and uh, I was talking through what I was going to go through and Trevor was hearing it and he was getting all ramped up. You know how Trevor can be and he was getting jazzed up and he was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. I love it. I love it. So what's the grid for people to think through? Like, how do people think through this and making decisions? And I was like, I actually don't know. That's a really big question. I'm going to need you to work on that and get back to me this week. 
He never did. That's time mismanagement, friends. That's a big rock. Where you at, Trevor? And so I came up with something that I hope is helpful. And then I kicked it to Lauren Moody, our media manager, and she made it pretty as she does with anything that I do. And it's just a little bit of a mind map for our schedule. When we understand our relationship to time and what our orientation is to it, then maybe we can start to lean into bringing the chaos to order. And here's a bit of a mind map for your schedule. And there's just four questions to it, just four questions. And the first one is this, and you'll see some passages on the side, Psalm 90, 12, James 1, 5, and I'll talk about those in just a second. The first question is this, is this in alignment with wisdom? Is my time flow and my schedule, is it in alignment with wisdom? To say it like oppositely, is there something out of alignment in my schedule that is in clear violation of a wisdom principle? Maybe I didn't realize I was so agitated and so anxious because I'm burnt out and I haven't stewarded my time well. Maybe I didn't realize I'm just anesthetizing and checking out because I need to step into my own calling and my own story and I haven't done the work to do that and I'd like to get off that cycle. Maybe there's things I've misprioritized and big rocks that I need to get in first. Is this in alignment with wisdom? James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask, she should ask, we should ask. If you lack wisdom, just ask. That's the place to start. Maybe for you today, this is hitting you really hard and it's like, I'm just gonna start with this prayer. God, give me wisdom. Grant me wisdom. Give us wisdom on how to do this well because there's a lot of moving parts and we need your help. Second question is this. After you answer that, the next question you ask is, does this reflect my core values? Does this reflect what I really want to be about? I say I want to cultivate a life with God, but as I look back through the week or look back through the, the month, there's nothing there. I say I want to cultivate good community that encourages me, but maybe I haven't got into a small group or I'm not on a serving team yet. Does this reflect my core values? Is this really what we want to be about? Me and my wife, when we first got married, we made this vow to each other. We said, hey, we're going to spend intentional time every week. We're going to have a date night or have a date day, or a date breakfast, whatever it might be. We're gonna commit to this thing, and we're, we're, it's a non-negotiable for us. And in general, over the 16 years we've been married, we've done it really well. Now, seasons changed. Sometimes it wasn't a date night. Sometimes we couldn't afford a babysitter because, man, that price went up. But it was more like, okay, the kids are all in school. We can go out for an hour or two-hour breakfast. That would be great. Another thing that we committed to as a family was just a longer vacation, one longer vacation each year. We get some short getaways, but we wanna, we wanna unplug. We wanna know what it's like to just unwind for more than a week. And over the years, we've committed to that. It's a non-negotiable for us because that's a core value of ours. What are your core values? We wanna raise our kids in and around the church. So we're here every Sunday. Our kids are here. We wanna raise our kids around this. That's a core value of ours. Does your schedule reflect your core values? Thirdly, does, does your schedule, does it serve your larger goal? Does it serve your larger goal? Maybe some of you have had some dreams and some goals. Maybe you want to go back to school. Maybe you wanted to create something. Maybe it's a dream that you've always had, and, and, and maybe you put it on the back burner because life just kind of got crazy. And I would ask you this question. Is, if you have this goal or dream, is what you're doing now setting you in motion to accomplish that goal, whatever it is. Is what you're doing now setting you in motion to accomplish that goal? And the last question, and this is probably my favorite question. If you don't hear anything else today, please 
May this be a grid for wisdom. What is this season inviting me to? If I'm listening well to life around me, if I really believe that the spirit of God fills the earth and that God speaks in a thousand different ways and plays in a thousand different places, am I listening well to what this season is inviting me to. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 2 says, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot. What is this season in particular inviting you to, and how can you pivot on that to put your time investment elsewhere? There's a, a pastor named Wayne Cordero. He's a pastor in Hawaii. Tough, I know. There had to be a conversation or a prayer like, yes, God, I will accept your call to minister in Hawaii. But I don't begrudge him of that. He's a good guy. And he was given a talk many years ago. He'd written a book and he had had these speaking opportunities. He was uh, successful at leading this large church. But he noticed that one of his sons who was in high school, I believe, was having a tough time. He was having a tough time, and Wayne kept getting these speaking opportunities, and he had a lot of leadership things going on, but he said this. He said, you know what? This is a different season. It wasn't this season three weeks ago, but it is this season right now. So you know what he did? He canceled several speaking engagements, and he just said no to them. And then the ones that he kept on his calendar, you know what he did? He invited his son to come with him, and he spent intentional time with him. And he said, this is a different season. I don't know how long this season will last, but what I want to do is seize the day for this season right now. Not anxiously, not fearfully, but intentionally. He said he leaned hard into that season of being with his son. The relationship grew. And then that season ended. And his son didn't need him as much in that moment. So guess what? He was invited to another season. And then the next season, he had to ask the same question. And we're all being invited in this season. What is life God saying to you right now? And if we do this well, you hear these these stories about people who get terminal diagnosis one of the great gifts that they often tell about in their story and that testimony is this. They learned really quick what they valued and what they didn't value and what they were gonna do with their time. They lived with the end in mind and they were gonna live with no regrets and they didn't wanna be on their deathbed and be filled with remorse and fear at what they didn't do. And I would argue this, by God's grace, And through the wisdom he gives us, we can beat the odds in our time. We don't have to be overwhelmed and stressed out. We don't have to be purely comfort-seeking. We don't have to misprioritize our time. And when we do that well, listen to this, when we spend our time on what we really value, we won't be afraid to lose it. We'll trust that God has given us exactly what we need and we'll steward it with peace and grace and intentionality. Then maybe then we continue to reflect what it means to be a redeemed community who walks wisely before the face of the watching world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures. They are
full of wisdom, full of truth, full of challenging things, but filled with grace. I just love the fact that you're a God who brings chaos to order. And you know this has taken quite some time and intentional effort in my own life, and I'm still growing. I've still got a long way to go. I'm not where I want to be. But you never give up on me. You never give up on any of us. God, we thank you that you're not stressed about time, that you're building your church, that you're ordering all things for your good purposes, but you invite us to play a significant part in our timeline, in our space in history. You want us to take up our space. God, help us. We would love to do that. Teach us wisdom. Teach us how to number our days that we could get a heart of wisdom that we might reflect more and more of your heart and your mind and your character. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.